excited because this is a now word. This is a word for somebody in this house. If one of you all get what I say today, then I've done what I was supposed to do. Amen? Amen. All right. So <clears throat> I definitely want you to participate. <clears throat> so I'll say some words, and I want you to repeat after me when I say them, because I think that, you know, I always like to remind us anytime that we minister in this house, this is true for the body of Christ in general, but it's very true specifically for Covenant Life Church. And that is, y'all know the four pillars that we stand on, right? To know God, to find freedom, to discover purpose, and to make a difference. Amen? So, if we break that down, if you're a note taker, please, like, pay attention to what I have to say this morning, because this is a good word for somebody in the house. I want to remind us of that because it's not just a mantra that we go by. It's really important to recognize that what this is really saying, if we simplify it, and we'll get into the specific message. I'm just kind of laying the, the foundation right now and setting the table, if you will. It's that salvation is initially about us because we need redemption, don't we? So we got to know who we are in order for us to do anything that's meaningful in this life. Amen? So we initially need to know God. So in other words, salvation is initially about you. You got to have a savior to be redeemed to the father. Otherwise, you won't do anything meaningful or purposeful in your life. Once that takes place and you know who you are in Christ, then it no longer becomes about you. Right? We start to realize that when it's no longer about us, we have something that we need to impart in somebody else who doesn't know what we have. Are y'all following me this morning? So I just want to reiterate that that this isn't a filler message because Pastor Rob is gone. All right? Like, everything we do here is to equip. Nothing more, nothing less. It's to equip. So please pay attention. So I want to remind us that we are to know God, to find freedom, to discover purpose, and make a difference, and it's meant to equip so that initially it's about you because you need it, but then all of a sudden it's no longer about you because you know who you are in Christ, and now you need to give that to somebody else. Amen? All right. So that's where we're going to go this morning. So as I say that, let's kind of jump into what I like to call our foundational scripture. This scripture is going to kind of launch us today to the word that the Lord gave me. So we want to go to Romans chapter 6, if you have your Bible. Romans chapter 6, verse 21. Remember what I just said about, it's about me, I need the salvation. Now that I know that and God has imparted to me through his spirit, now I need to do this for somebody else. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 6, verse 21, and it says, when you were slaves of sin, right, you were free in regard to righteousness, meaning it didn't really apply to you. You were free in regard to righteousness, right? And it says, what fruit did you have? Say, did you have? Did you have in the things in which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is what? Is death. So it's saying, when you were slaves of sin, you were free, right, in regard to righteousness, meaning you couldn't really comprehend it. It really didn't apply to you because you weren't a slave to God. You were a slave to sin. Amen? Now, Jesus kind of says more about that actually before this. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 and 18, he makes it very plain. He told when he spoke in parables and whatnot, he spoke very plain. In Matthew chapter 7, 17 and 18, Jesus says something very similar to that. He says, even so, every good tree produces what kind of fruit? Good fruit. And then he says, con contrast that. Every bad tree produces what? Right. But then he says, just to go further, just to be clear, right? So a good tree can't produce what kind of fruit? Bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce what kind of fruit? That's important. 
So what I'm saying here and what we're gathering from these passages is that it's important to note that when you are dead spiritually, everything you produce is death. Is anybody with me? When you're dead spiritually, what you produce naturally is death. Because how many of you agree that fruit comes from a seed, right? So that fruit that's bared is basically the nature. It carries with it the nature of the source it comes from. Does this make sense? So that fruit that's produced is a direct relationship between its source. So Jesus is saying here that if you're a good tree, the only kind of fruit you can produce is good. But if you're a bad tree, the only kind of fruit you can produce is, and just to clarify, right, a good tree can't produce, but a bad tree can't produce. All right, but how many of y'all would agree that even as a believer, you can be spiritually alive and still not produce the fruit God intended? Okay? So even if we are alive spiritually, Jesus did what he did. Y'all would agree he's not going to the cross twice. Right? Y'all know I'm laying, y'all know how I go, right? So we're setting, we're setting the stage. So what I'm saying is everybody say mindset. So basically what I'm getting at here then is if a good tree can only produce good fruit and a bad tree can only produce bad fruit and not the reverse, then there must be something about us, even if we're alive spiritually, that's preventing us from reproducing what God intended. And what I find and what I've experienced in my own life and what I've seen in talking to thousands of people is this. You can be alive spiritually, but if you still have the mindset of who you used to be, the fruit you produce is not going to look godly whatsoever. Does anybody hear what I'm saying this morning? So something's amiss. It's not God. It's not him withholding, right? It's not something he hasn't done in your life. It's not something that he's already produced. It's not something that's according to his will. Then it means it implies something that most people, and if you look around the world, this is not hard to see, most people don't want to take responsibility for their part in this process, including believers. You're not excluded from this. I'm not excluded from this. Again, no God find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Did somebody hear me this morning? Okay. So, in other words, you can be spiritually alive and yet still not produce the fruit that is intended to be produced. Now, I haven't gotten into the title of the message or anything yet, but this is important to lay that foundation. So, with that being said, let's get into that. So, what we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to talk about, it's a very simple title. The title of this message today is Better. Say Better. Better. All right? Now, let's kind of talk about what I mean by better. So how many of y'all like upgrades? Like if you don't raise your hand, either you can't because of some physical ailment, or you want to stay mediocre. Everybody in here likes upgrades. Thank you. See? You know what I'm saying? You know, those video game players, if you go to a video game store, right? Like somebody, you go to the Apple store. You know, I'm an Apple stan. I love Apple products. And they're like, we'll give you this, you know, this brand new 13, right, for the same price as the previous model, for the same exact price. How many of y'all would take that? All right, just checking, right? Or you go to, say, a car dealership, and they're like, you know what? The base model is the same package as the, the premium one. 
I mean, you being paranoid about why they're giving you, that's another message, right? It was like, but what's the hidden fees and whatnot, right? But that's not what I'm talking about. So y'all laugh because y'all know what I'm talking about. Talking about what? So that's another message. Talking about you saying, hold on, let me talk to my, you know, it's one of those. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that if it's pretty clear in the fine print that they want to give you an upgrade and it's the same exact price, how many of y'all would take the premium package? It's a no-brainer, right? Yeah, y'all follow me? Okay, so if you're getting the upgrade and there's no bells and whistles and they're saying it's the exact same price as this, I'm going to take that upgrade every single time, no questions asked. Amen? Okay, so here's what I'm getting at. It's pretty easy to see that if we get offered an upgrade and there's no hidden fees and whatnot, we would accept that. Amen? The reason why you like an upgrade is because an upgrade of anything, hear me out, church, an upgrade of anything implies that the quality of the product has improved from the previous version and that it is better than what it used to be. Let me say that again. If you like an upgrade, it's because the quality of the product has improved, right? And it's now better than the previous version, right? Amen. So what I want to talk to you about is, well, why that's the case. Because we can see that something that is better makes a lot of sense. So let's define better. Better is pretty easy to understand. It's basically saying it's superior quality or excellence, amen? Superior quality or excellence. The other definition of better is moral superiority. How many of y'all know we need some moral superiority in this world? Moral superiority, right? So to take it a step further, let's go to Romans chapter 1 verse 20. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. This is interesting because here's what it says in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. It says, right, for since the creation of the world, right, even his invisible attributes, the things you can't see of God, even his invisible attributes are clearly seen, right? Being understood by the things that are made, meaning you can see God through the things that you see, <laughs> right? There's no way you, don't, you can't say God exists by looking around you, looking at mountains, looking at this, looking at that, looking at this. You know God's God because of what he's done in this world, and you can't deny that, right? So for, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. And listen, look at what it says next. It says, even his eternal power and Godhead in this last part, so that they are without excuse. You know God's God. So even heathen, even people who don't know God, know there's something better than what they have right now. Even people that you interact with on a regular basis, non-believers, know that there's something better right now right? Think about the things we say, right? Some of y'all know what I'm going to say, and I know who's going to laugh, but I'm looking at my people on TV doing something stupid. We usually say, man, we got to do better. Thank you. Like, you don't do well in school, right? It's like, man, I studied hard, and blah, 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 blah. Man, I got to do, right? You get sick. It's like, man, I really hope you feel, right? So it's like, oh, man, you're dating up now. You didn't date old girl last time. Now you're dating somebody who is the point I'm making is that even people in this world who don't know Christ know there is something that is better. Amen? We know that, that, that there is something that is better. So as a believer, 
it makes a whole lot of sense for us to recognize what that better is in our life. Because many of us are not manifesting that better because we still have the mindset of the former thing. Are y'all with me? So it's better. So see, I've had the old quality. I've had the old product. I've had that old way of life. I've had those things for a season, but there's something about better, right? There's something about better that gets my attention, and I don't want to go back to that. Is this making sense? So there's something about better that really gets my attention, and I don't want to stay in the place that I used to be in. And even non-believers know that. So you, as a locked and loaded believer, you being full of the power of the spirit that dwells on the inside of you, we have absolutely no excuse. I got quiet. I said we. I didn't say you. I said we. Right? I'm included in we, just so we clear. Right? All right, my wife, like, you know what I'm saying? So figuratively, you know what I mean? Because you didn't do that. But I say that to say that we, right, know that we have something inside of us that can do better. All right? So better. So what we're going to do is we're going to go, I'm going to start out, as we talk about this better, we're going to go into uh, Hebrews chapter 8. So I want to give you some points about what I'm talking about. (laughs) Amen. So some points about, so I want to talk about three areas in our life this morning that really speak to this concept of better. There's a whole lot of things. The Word of God is full of better. Amen? But we want to simplify it, make it practical. Because now that we're on the same page and recognize that as believers, there's a better that we need to be manifesting. And we got to get out of mindsets that prevent us from manifesting something that we already have possession of. Right? I I hate it. I'm going to say it. Sister Debbie said it earlier. Just say it. You know, I'm going to say it anyway, but thank you. You know what I'm saying? But like, I hate when believers say things like the devil stole my joy. Right? That's another message that we could call Christian cliches. Amen? But if we get caught up in a mindset, well, you know what I mean, but do you know what you mean when you say? Right? Because if you have something that is eternal, that is in, in your spirit, has it stolen? Again, we. I'm not saying y'all, we. Just, you know what I'm saying? Stay with me. So there's three areas we want to cover today that I think are important for us to talk about. Number one is promises. We need to talk about promises because we have better promises, and we'll get into better promises. We also have what we call better fruit, but I'm not going to say what I mean by fruit, and I hope somebody gets a hold of what I mean by fruit. But better fruit, because the Word of God talks a lot about fruit. And then number three, a better future. And that's a sensitive topic to a lot of believers. But it's true, and it's not my opinion, it's what the Word of God tells us. Amen? Amen. So let's get into it. So Hebrews chapter 8, we're going to start out in verse 6, and you can just leave it up. But let me try to explain, I'll be brief, about why this is so important. Because see, the writer of Hebrews is basically writing this letter for the same reason I'm giving this message. Now here's what I mean by that. The whole purpose of the book of Hebrews is to say to wavering Christians, to stand firm in the faith. See, they were converts. They obviously were Jewish, right? So they were Christians at this point. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you need to stand fast because they were getting leery because it's like, did I make the right decision to become a Christian? 
Did I make the right decision to become a believer? Because Christ ain't returned yet, and the world around me is chaotic. Can anybody see that today? So the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, stand firm in the faith. Here's why, though. He said, you need to stand firm in the faith because what you had under the law is absolutely nothing compared to what you have now through Jesus Christ. See, the law emphasized earthly blessings. Priests, right? They idolize even certain saints, right? Like Joshua, Moses, Aaron, etc. A tabernacle, earthly blessings, Deuteronomy 28, right? Bless you'll be going in, bless you'll be going out. Bless you'll be in the city, bless you'll be in the field, right? Bless will be your basket and your kneading bowl, meaning if you're a believer, you need to cook well. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm. It says that in Deuteronomy 28. It says, bless will be your basket and your kneading bowl. I'm like, well, you need to be whipping up something that tastes good. <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> That's my interpretation. All right, if you can't cook, then we got to pray for you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, it's saying though, but here's what I'm getting at, y'all, is that all the blessings under the law, right? All the blessings under the law are in your possession as well. Like, you are blessed going in and out, right? You are blessed in the field and whatnot. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, but despite all that, though, you have blessings now that they did not have access to. That right there should get your attention. Because it's saying you need to stand firm in the faith because the blessings you still have possession of is nothing compared to the spiritual blessing that Jesus has sitting at the divine right hand of God, which is a position of authority. He's seated at the right hand of God, seated at the right hand of God, imparting spiritual blessings to you and I if we choose to receive them. Is that not good news today, church? That should be good news to us. So, better promises. So let's read Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. It's interesting because in the book of Hebrews, I'll read it and then I'll say it. But basically it says, but now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry. Now watch this, because we're going somewhere. Inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which is established on what? Better promises. The book of Hebrews uses the word better over 12 times in the whole letter. But watch this. It also uses the term let us over 15 times. Now here's what I'm getting at. Not only does it say better, better this, better that, better what? better hope. It says Jesus is a little better than the angels. It says we have better promises. It says we have a better possession. He says Jesus has a better sacrifice. It says we have a better country. You see what I'm saying? A better country. Hope for a better country. So the word better is used over 12 times in there, and yet it says, let us over 15 times. What am I saying? I'm saying there's a better, but then there's a responsibility for us as believers to step into whatever that better is, right? Meaning it's available to you, but what are you going to do about it? It's available to you, but what's the next step going to be on your behalf? You have it, but are you going to activate it? You have access to a better country, but what are you going to do in your part, right? You have access to better possessions, but what are you going to do? So it's saying, stand firm in the faith because there are better promises, right? Second Peter 1.4, on the topic of better, 
2 Peter 1.4, and I think over in verse 3, it starts out by saying that by his divine power has given us how many things? All things that pertain to life and godliness, right? Through the knowledge of him, meaning you have to have the knowledge of who you are and who Jesus is in order to receive those all things. Does that make sense? Through the knowledge of him who's called us by glory and virtue, and then look what it says. It says, by which, right, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Through these, through what? These promises. Now here's the kicker, that through these, you will be partakers of the divine nature. That church is huge. The divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, here's what it's saying. It's saying those better promises, the ones we talked about in Deuteronomy 28, the one that the the writer of Hebrews is saying, you got possession of these, but here's what you got that you're not really seeing. You got something through Jesus that you can't get any other way, and that is access to the divine nature. Who God is and what he has spiritually dwells on the inside of you if you take it and activate it. Amen? So access to the divine nature, his nature, his DNA, all things God, you are one-third supernatural. (laughs) If you think about what you have in your spirit, man, you have the ability and the access to see things change in this world and in your life as an individual. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. But if we don't know God, we can't find freedom meaning we can't discover our purpose, meaning we can't make a difference. But the first step there is knowing what? You got to know God, but not only knowing God, knowing that God dwells on the inside of you through his divine nature. Amen? So we're here trying to equip this morning to give us access to know what we have possession of. So better promises. So I guess we're on the same page now in that regard, basically saying that we have better promises promises. Well, what are some of those promises? Well, you all know the scripture. We have eternal life, right? What's John 3.16 say? I mean, just say it. For God so what? Love the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whoever should believe in him shall not what? Perish, but have what? So often as believers, we focus on that last part, which is essential and the most important, everlasting life. But what about your life right now? Amen? John 10, 10, right? The thief does not come except to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have what? And how? Kind of, sort of? More abundantly. So it's not just about right now, right? It's not just about kind of life. It's saying not only eternal life, I've come so that you can have eternal life, but abundant life. Abundant life. More than enough life. What do you mean? All things life. I'm not isolating one thing, right? Well, let's talk about money. That's part of it. But is that all that you need? All right. So I say that to say that John 10, 10, right? Galatians 1, 4 speaks that too. It says that he came, right, to deliver us from what? From the sin, but from this present evil age. So if you take those scriptures together, it's saying that what you have that should be better in terms of your promises is not only access to the divine nature, eternal life, praise God, 
but abundance now so that I can know God, find freedom. Y'all see that? Y'all see how that's related? Discover purpose and make a difference. You can't really discover purpose and make a difference if you're not walking in abundance. What is somebody going to receive from you if we're walking around like this all year? Praise God. Your posture's not praising God, though. Right? Yeah, come on over to this church, you know what I'm saying, with the leaky ceiling. And, I mean, we take for granted what we have. Right? Hey, man, we're supposed to be walking in abundance. And if we're not walking in abundance, it's not a God problem. Do y'all see what I'm getting at? Because we have better promises. Amen? Y'all still with me? Okay. The other part of those promises, prosperity. Now, let me isolate what I'm trying to say with this here. So, 3 John verse 2, we say it a lot, and you can say this for a lot of different things, but look at what it says. It says, Beloved, I pray that you prosper in how many things? All things. I'm not even going to, like, troll the youth, because they already know, right, Caleb? (laughs) When I say the Greek word for all is, I trolled you anyway, thank you. The Greek word for all means all, just in case we're clear. Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things, right? Just as your what prospers? Your soul prospers. Now, now listen, the Greek word there for soul is suke. And what that means, it means the inner man, but it also means in this context of Scripture, it means the seat of the new life. The seat of the new life. What am I saying? I pray that your soul prospers. Your soul, your emotional experiences, your executive functioning, your decision-making, everything you touch, everything you encounter, everybody you interact with, your ability to manage emotions, your ability to speak the gospel of truth to people, your ability to impart grace, all of that is a direct reflection of your soul prospering. So every single thing a believer touches to prosper. Does that make sense? So we often talk about that with the financial peace. Well, last time I checked, that's a part of it. But that's not all of it. Because if my soul is prospering, everything I touch is prospering. When I lay hands on the sick, they're recovering. Right? When I interact with a difficult person, they're like, wow, I just like cussed them up and down and yet they didn't respond. Do you see what I'm saying? If my soul is truly prospering, There's something about me that is inherently changed on the inside that is imparting grace to the people around me. That's good, right? Amen. So my soul is prospering. So again, summary, better promises. We got access to the divine nature. You got all the Deuteronomy 28 stuff, not the curses. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Not those. But the blessings. In addition to the more important point, access to the divine nature. Right? You got supernatural on the inside of you is the simple way to put that. So eternal life, abundance in life right now, in addition to that, prospering in all things. The inner man, the seat of the new life. How many of y'all have a new life through Jesus Christ? Amen. Praise God. So the second thing, we have better fruit. Now, this is good because I think oftentimes when we think of better fruit, we're going to go where you think we're going with this. But it's really interesting what the Holy Spirit downloaded to me about this as I've been studying this a lot, this idea of fruit. 
But Galatians 5, 22, 23, y'all know what it says. If you know it, just say it. It's up there. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, right? Peace, long-suffering, or patience, however you want to say it, right? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I think most of us would know, give me a hand raise, that it definitely says a singular fruit. It says fruit, right? Not fruits. So most of us are aware that it doesn't say the fruits. It says fruit, right? Now, let me, let me tie that to what I'm trying to get you to see, though. Here's what the Holy Spirit is showing us, though. If you study the Word of God and see the context of that word fruit, and it's why it's saying, but the fruit of the Spirit, and it gives you nine attributes. Y'all agree? The reason that word, I won't go into the Greek part, but the reason that word is there in that context is that it's trying to get us to see, this is powerful, that fruit, singular fruit, represents the unity of the character of Jesus Christ reproduced through you. Let me say that again. The fruit of the Spirit is saying there's a unity of the character of Jesus Christ being reproduced through you. So if you look at these words used in the fruit of the Spirit, it's saying these are characteristics that Jesus has that you now have, right? That should affect three parts of your relationship. So when I say better fruit, we're talking about relationship, right? Fruit isn't just relationship, but right here it's talking about relationship. So we have better fruit in three areas. Watch this. The first three talk about your relationship with God. It says love, joy, and peace. Your attitude toward God, right? God is love. So it's his love, right? And what we say, love, joy. It's the joy of the, notice it's not yours, it's his, and yet it's coming through you. Are you seeing that? The peace of who shall surpass all understanding? God. Are you seeing that? So those first three fruit are talking about love, joy, peace, my attitude toward God. Me having Jesus reproduced through me is talking about that first three fruit are about my attitude toward God. The second three fruit are talking about your attitude around people around you. Now think about that. Think about that conduct we're talking about, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. So being long-suffering toward others around you, was Jesus long-suffering? Right? Kindness. Y'all think we need some kindness? We have kindness, right? And it says goodness. Those next three fruit represent the singular part of Jesus' character based upon your social relationships with other people. And then finally, the conduct of the believer, right? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And one that we need desperately that we have access to already is self-control. Can I get an amen? So if we can have a different understanding, when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, the singular fruit, it's saying, if I have access to the divine nature and I am a born-again believer, one of the betters in my life fruit-wise needs to be my relationship with God through His Spirit, my relationship being reproduced to others, and my own self-conduct as a believer needs to be better. But it's only through the Spirit of God that that can take place, right? We've talked in the past, some of us, right, previously in the youth, we would talk about killing people with kindness. You shouldn't be killing anybody with kindness. 
Kindness needs to be a direct outpouring of something that's already inside of you anyway, despite what's going on. Amen? So we have better fruit. And then finally, excuse me, we have a better future. We have a better future. Now let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. There it is, verse 10. This is really crafty. Watch this. So Solomon... Look at what he says, and this is kind of, this reminds me, sidebar, of kind of how we talk about, y'all know the scripture, be, ang- uh, be angry, but do not sin? Y'all know that scripture? Right, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I often talk about that scripture, because it was an original quote from David in Psalms, right? And he talks about being angry, but do not sin, but it says, meditate in your heart in your bed and be still in Psalms 4.4. This scripture reminds me of that. Because again, we often hear that text without context is a con. So we got to kind of know what they're saying when they say this. So here's what it says in 710. It says, do not say, do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Like, let that sink in for a second. It's saying, do not say, so don't say, man, the good old days. Thank you, Nancy. It it says here, do not say, why were the former days better than these? Now, let me give a disclaimer. Most of the time, I'd like to say in terms of a grace, like imparting grace, that when people say that, they tend to be saying things were simpler. Is that fair? Okay. Now, that I understand, right? Because, like, you know, I think about some people, like, in our family and stuff who can't use devices and whatnot, and I'm like, man... It'd be hard to survive not knowing how to use like an iPad. (laughs) Right? So do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. But it really doesn't say much more than that. Well, why? Like, why shouldn't I say that? Wouldn't y'all like to see, like, why I shouldn't say that? Okay. Well, let's go to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 and 19. This is powerful. Look at what it says. Here's why. It says, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Watch this. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it's to spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and the rivers in the desert. Man, man, man. So the reason why we need to stop looking backwards, church, is because we're going to miss what God's doing in our lives right now which is a direct reflection of what he's trying to do in the future. I've said this in the past, but our present is a direct reflection of our past. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it anyway, all right? If our good old days were so good, then why are many of us struggling right now? Right? So I say that to say, that if our present is a direct reflection of our past, our present is a direct reflection of what's happening moving forward. So if we're focused on what's already happened, what God did 50 years ago, how are we going to be able to see revival starting on the inside of us 
being a catalyst of change in this world if we're not focused on what we said earlier, the better future that God has for us. In other words, God is saying, you can't focus on what used to be because I'm doing a new thing. Can you not see it? And then what he said, can you not see it? Well, no, I can't see it if I'm distracted by what things used to be like as a believer. But God is saying, if I'm going to be useful for the kingdom of, of the Lord, I got to be able to say, Lord, what do you want me to do right now in this moment so I can shape what my future is? Because see, my future is a direct reflection of what I'm doing right now. Amen? So we have a better future. But what I'm trying to get us to see, church, from an equipping standpoint, is we got to recognize what we have possession of, the divine nature, the better promises, the earthly stuff. But at the same time, I have Jesus in access He's seated at the right hand, giving me access to all things I need to be successful in this life, to fulfill the Great Commission, to live abundantly and have eternal life. Can I get an amen from somebody? That is good news. That is good news. So if I don't know that, though, right, that I have access to that already, but if I don't activate that, thinking God hasn't done something in my life, I will remain stagnant and not be able to walk into that. Amen. So as I get ready to, to wrap up, we can come on up. I just want to leave us with a scripture that kind of ties all this together, this last point. One we all know so well, but I really want you to, if you don't mind, church, here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes as, as I read this scripture. It's a scripture you know, but it's kind of like in 2 Kings chapter 6 when the Syrian army surrounded the Israel camp. And Elisha knew where the Syrians would be at each moment. Why? Because he had a relationship with God. He was telling them, don't go here, go here, encamp there. So divine protection. But on one occasion, the Syrian king was disturbed. He said, you know what? Why do they know? Where, why does Israel know our every move? And then he said, right? He says, because they have Elisha who hears directly from God. So he said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to surround Elisha. So they surrounded Elisha, and Elisha's servant came out, and he was frantic, basically panicking, saying, Elisha, we're surrounded by the Syrians. What should we do? Because we're surrounded by Syrians. They're out here to kill us. What should we do? And I picture Elisha standing up, just kind of patting him on the head and saying, God, open his eyes. Because see, there are more for us than are against us. We're looking in the wrong place, church. So I say all that to say, I'm going to read Jeremiah 29, 11, but I want you to see it. See it. Not with your natural eyes, but with your spiritual eyes. See it. Amen? It says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Whatever that hope is in your life, church, whatever that future is that you have always longed for, God's already orchestrated that in the spirit. But you got to see it with your spiritual eyes, not your natural eyes. You got to see it. And in order to see it, you got to be someone who takes that divine nature that you have in your life 
recognizes those promises that you have in your life, recognizing that fruit that you have that is Jesus being reproduced through you in all of your relationships and interactions with people, and now recognizing that the very hope that I have comes from the Holy Spirit himself. It says it in Romans 5, 5, that same hope and that future. 